Welcome to the premiere episode of Restoration Beyond the Couch, brought to you by Restoration Counseling. Today, we're thrilled to have an enlightening conversation with Dr. Lee Long, visionary author and founder of Restoration Counseling, alongside Lila Pond, a distinguished licensed professional counselor and supervisor at Restoration. Together, we'll delve into the inspiring narrative of Restoration Counseling, explore their innovative methods, and share valuable insights and actionable advice that you can apply in your daily life. Join us as we embark on this adventure of discovery and mental wellness. Your path to mental wellness starts here. Lee, we're so happy to be here with you, and we look forward to hearing from you. Why Beyond the Couch? I'm glad you asked, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you, too. Beyond the Couch, the heart behind this is simply to demystify the idea of of psychological health, of, of mental health. And for those who may not be willing to step in an office like this, mm-hmm. they want to offer tools and thoughts and ideas uh, for, for those individuals, as well as individuals who may be leaving the therapy session and just want to think more on the things that they just encountered. That is great. Some people have a hard time even understanding why it would be helpful, right? That's so true. And like anything else in life that we're learning, so much of it happens after we leave the learning setting, and so much of it can happen prior to even getting there. Such great points. So, you know, Dr. Lee, can you take us back to the very beginning and share your personal story, your inspiration behind even founding Restoration Counseling? Where did that come from? I always knew I loved understanding why we do what we do. Connecting with people, what are our behaviors, where do they come from? That's always been fascinating to me. When I was in college, you know, my, my degree was psychology. I was driving over a bridge and it was, there was tons of traffic. I just thought, oh, well, you know, there's, there's just traffic. As I pulled over this bridge, I saw why there was traffic. Unfortunately, it was somebody who was trying to take their life. Oh my. And I recall the look on the face of of the EMT driver that was there and the police officer that was there. And I just remember thinking, I never want anyone to experience that, that pain, that Mm -hmm. struggle, that moment. I just wish there was a safe place that knew how to help this precious human whose life is hanging in the balance, who could help these support workers, these uh, first responders. Mm -hmm could be present for this because this isn't just about this precious person who's contemplating their own life. This is a big ripple effect. Where did the idea of restoration come from? It's wanting to have a place where people can feel safe walking through the doors, where they know that somebody who's going to care deeply for them, but who's also going to be highly trained that can help them walk out some of these really complex and difficult things. That's really the heart and the inspiration behind. Uh, That was a really pivotal moment for me uh, driving up on that. 
Oh, I can't imagine. I can see where that would inspire you to um, be drawn to this profession and to counseling. And I also can imagine that actually putting feet to that and creating a path to what is now restoration counseling had many steps to it. Can you fill us in on that? You bet. That is, in fact, true. Yeah, the, the, the education alone was quite a path. Um, you know, working through and recognizing the getting my master's degree and then, you know, getting the experience and then my doctorate and the experience from that. And so, yeah, the education that came along with, with getting to a place where restoration could even be an idea was quite, quite the path. But in that pathway, not just education, but also the education through certain different, you know, types of, of jobs. I worked for a adolescent residential facility and ran that for a while and learned a lot there working with uh, adolescents and their families and the struggles that they had ex- experienced and encountered and you know working with the staff and you know running that that facility and moving back to Texas and beginning a practice you know, you don't start out with a host of, of, of clients to work with when you, when you move from out of state. And so it took a lot of effort to build restoration utilization review, which is working with insurance companies and making sure patients got to stay as many days as they needed to stay. And I worked with the Texas youth correctional facilities and, um, working with kids that had been pulled out of foster care because they had broken the law. And wow you know, really trying to help those kids and teaching life skills to kids that were in, uh, you know, junior high, high school, working with kids in um, alternative school when you're in public school and you get into so much trouble instead of expelling you, they put you in alternative school. I was hired by an organization to to teach life skills and, and, and drug refusal skills to these, to these young young kids. The experiences in each one of those uh, different jobs was so pivotal in the themes and the things that we have built here at Restoration in working with, you know, the, 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 as I call them, the babies, the, the two, three, four, five-year-olds mm-hmm. with the play therapy. And then, you know, working with the, the elementary kids, the junior high kids, and really working through with the parenting curriculums and the using utilizing dbt and other uh modalities that really hone in on skills like cbasp and rodbt and all the things that we utilize and realizing how important skills really are all of that background was so pivotal in influencing how restoration all came together that's incredible that took a lot of work and a lot of learning learning in this profession is an ongoing process. And and with that, you know, yes, there I think life is a learning process, isn't it? But here we are, you know, um you listed quite a few uh initials DBT, CBASP, etc. It sounds like it's extremely important that you have some empirically validated theories and therapies in place. Why it's to kind of help our listeners here today who may not be familiar with what that means. Could you explain in real simple terms what empirically 
proven, empirically validated therapies or theories are? You bet. That is a great question. Empirically validated therapies or theories means that it has been proven in studies to be effective and have effective outcomes. It, in essence, the theory does what the theorist, the creator, said it was going to do. We have outcomes. We can show you that. We can prove that. So it, it basically means that in the right context, this therapy has been shown to be effective. Why do we use empirically validated theories and therapies at restoration? Because we want to know that we're using something that's been proven, that we know it's going to work. So, so can you give us an example of how these uh, therapies, theories have led to successful patient outcomes? Let's just say I came to see you and I was really struggling with, I have big emotions and they're so intense and so quick. And I just, my whole life, I haven't been able to regulate them. How, how would you help me with that? What, what theory would you use? As a therapist, I, I know that when a client walks in the room and says, I'm really struggling with anxiety, they don't want to just hear a thought for the day or a meditation of the week. They want to know when the rubber meets the road, what's really going to help me. And so if they were to say to me, for example, I'm really struggling with obsessive thoughts, I want to be able to pull from proven, supported, scientific methods and not just myths and maybes that will help them be grounded and be able to uh, navigate dealing with these continual thoughts. Or let's just say a client walks in and says, my anxiety is so high, I I don't know what to do with it, okay? We'll want to walk through an empirically proven method and skill-based theory that would help them understand, number one, how their hardware works, their brain, the neuropsychology of it, how is my brain working, and then how is it impacting my mind, my soul, and how I interact with life, and how I allow life to interact with me. To me, as a therapist, it's supportive to have that kind of science to back up the relationship in the room and be able to present skills. It's that trifecta. Very well said. When someone is coming to see us and they're in the midst of a struggle, first of all, reaching out for help is a very vulnerable but very powerful step to take. Stepping into that vulnerability Mm -hmm. is definitely a place. As therapists, we want to make sure we meet you there with all of the tools that we have to help you walk those things out. We want to make sure that our toolbox is full. And that's kind of like, you you don't, most of us, when we're getting a repair on our car, <laughs> we don't want off-market parts, right? That's getting true to that model and we can offer authentic, reliable parts right. and skills. Yeah. One thing that is, I believe, is unique about restoration mm-hmm. is that we believe that relationships are at the center and at the core. Mm. And we operate as a team. And 
I'm just curious if you would, Lila, elaborate for our listeners on how you see that and, and any observations or thoughts that you wanted to offer our listeners. Sure. Thank you so much for asking, because to me, a team approach is what gets the ball across the goal line. You know, when teams, we, we think of teams in sports, but also in life, we are wired for connection and community. And long before restoration uh, became sanctioned, if you will, by uh, the dialectical behavior therapy author, we met as a team to support one another, to uh, problem solve, to create a connection where I may do things my unique way. However, there are times where I need some input from someone else and it's supportive as a team. Every player on a team is equally as important and it's not about one person knowing more or being better. It's about how do we move the ball across the goal line effectively and relationally. And, you know, as therapists, that relationship with one another is very important to the culture that is able to provide individual relationship in those therapeutic settings, in that room, on the couch, with that one individual. I, I remember in the beginning of my career feeling like I was an island unto myself. Oh, man that you constantly are giving away of yourself mm-hmm. and that in a therapeutic relationship, there's, there's a limit to what you're allowed to share and you're not there to be supported by your client. You're there to be supportive of exactly just that, that feeling of being an Island was so beautifully undone with the team. Where you feel like when in between sessions, how nice is it to walk the hallway, you know, to, to run to the kitchen for a glass of water and you run into three of your teammates and they may just smile at you and that's the interaction and it brightens your day or they may give you a high five or, you know, they may say, gosh, that was such a tough session. And you can, you know, put your arm around them either figuratively or literally and just say, you know, go get them. You've got this, like we're with you. And just knowing that that's there is such a burden lifter for me in particular. Oh, that is so well said and so true. As therapists and as team members, we have life events that take place and yet we show up for our clients and put those aside. So it's nice even to have that camaraderie that is not necessarily there to hear about our life events, but is there like you say, if we have to have surgery or have had a loss or even just, you know, the dishwasher ran out all over the kitchen with water or whatever, it's like, hey, you can do this. It's very supportive. We get underneath that boulder with each other from time to time and help shoulder that weight. Oh, that's a great point. And, and so how does that ensure that we all stay on the same page, too, when it comes to treatment planning and progress? Or problem solving. I think it, I think having a relationship primary, we all know where we're coming from, right? right? We all are professionally, intimately aware of each member of our team, their worldview. Knowing that uh, a person has a certain gifting that is unique to them, that when a certain case comes in, 
that we know, oh, that's going to be a great fit for so-and-so. There you go. It's ensuring that we get people fit with, with a good fit. When it comes to uh, working as a team and ensuring that people get good care, I think sometimes we can get involved in a case and we don't always see the high-level intricacies that even, not anonymously talking about it, but whitewashing all the details without giving that person's name, we can still collaborate with one another and help each other see little intricacies that being so up close to the case, we may overlook. My mentor or our mentor, uh, Big Jim, Dr. McCullough, um, at 87 years old, still, still talks about how critical it is to have supervision with our peers. And he still, at this point in his career, still has places where he walks through his cases and says, okay, I need your eyes and ears on this. To to take the pressure off of us to believe that we have to have all the answers and we don't. Again, we whitewash the person's name and and, and vitals out of that so that it's not, if you come to restoration, every therapist is going to know you're here and what you're dealing with. That's not the case. But we can talk about them and collaborate without using all of those details. And I think that helps us all be better for the, the people that we treat. I think about a time when there was a, there was a family that was coming to see us that was here and multiple family members being treated by us. And just thinking about walking that family through chaos and division, and then everybody collaborating and caring and really wanting to see this family come together and really wanting them to overcome some of these really painful and destructive obstacles, obviously with their permission, but through collaboration and through all of everybody pouring in as a team and being supportive of one another, that this family emerged on the other side, more open, more supported, more loving and repaired. They were restored. Yeah. That's a great story and, and a great outcome. And the goal, it sounds like that you had, when you experienced that experience on the bridge, the vision, there it is. And the teamwork together, there it is. That's right. I mean, the, the, the vision from the bridge, from really being young and enjoying understanding why we do what we do. Right. The bridge through all of the, the different experiences of, of the education to the different jobs to all of those high points of, the, of my career. It, it's, it's all come to fruition here at Restoration in the sense that, you know, there's a safe place for people to bring their children, that they know that they'll get good, sound care, that people can bring their loved ones, that couples can come and hopefully work through the things that are that they're struggling with, to, to families that, that need help reuniting and, and reconnecting and being restored, um, that anybody... I mean, our, our, our moniker here is uh, celebrating restored freedom. Uh, you know, that's, we want to see families and we want to see individuals and families do just that. We want to see them celebrate their restored freedom. 
It, that is such a strong and needed moniker, you know, our, our process really, and, and learning process for people who want to connect with themselves and be able to connect with others in, in a safe way and in a way that becomes effective in their life. And, you know, I think it would be helpful for our listeners if we can give them a practical tip when they're, you know, they're not, they're not in therapy. They're not in the session. They've gone home. And what would be something, one practical thing that you think would be helpful for someone to practice to find a grounding and a place of centering and stability? You know, I think by listening to this podcast, I think that's a great first step is learning about what is available out there to help me grow. And, and I would say too, Lila, that in, in this moment, while you're listening to us, whether you're driving, walking, laying in bed, however you enjoy your podcasts, I would say that just paying attention to that monologue that we all have in our mind. Just pay attention to that. Notice it. Is it negative? Is it positive? Is it neutral? Does it vacillate? Stay aware of that. Because that monologue that a lot of us quiet out or or press out really influences what we do on a day-to-day basis. Internally critical, then we are going to walk around just whipped. But if we become aware of how we talk to ourselves, how we think about ourselves, we just become aware of that. You might be really surprised at how much lighter you feel when you stop criticizing yourself. Oh, that is such a great practice. And, you know, how many times a day should a person do that? I would say I agree with you continually. Notice. Notice. You know, because there there are those um there are those voices in our head that are um we have a we have adopted the criticism of the input from life. It could be the bully on the playground in first grade. It could be the kid in PE class in seventh grade, it could be the coach. It could be our father, our mother, our sibling, our friend, the neighbor. Or it could just be a dis- an assumptive conclusion we make about ourselves because we engaged in comparison. Thank you for that. I hope that all of you listening will really dial into that practice and see how that impacts your life. Here's, here's one thing that may actually dovetail beautifully with the noticing the self-talk. Okay. People are quite undone by how critical they are of themselves. And it might be dysregulating to discover that. Mm-hmm. If you find yourself dysregulated, one thing that you can do is you'll notice your breath. You'll notice you may be holding your breath. You may be breathing really shallow and quick rapidly. As a result, you may just want to take a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. When I, I heard one uh, person that I work with said, smell the flowers, blow out the candles. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> a really sweet way to say it. Smell yeah. Flowers, blow out the candles. 
And it was, it's a very regulating exercise. And I think just wherever you are, if you find yourself feeling just undone or out of sorts, notice your breathing. You know, Lee, that is so helpful. And it really fits together because it goes from our mind to our body. And the two work together, right? Our mind, our body, our spirit, our soul, it all is connected. And so often just that that simple act of intentionally breathing can calm not just our mind, but also our body because our mind, our brain is sending signals to our body all the time. We're so complex. And, you know, that's why those practices are helpful all day long. You know, we do hold our breath a lot, don't we? We do. And it's interesting to to note that is is how often we do hold our breath when we do tense up. You know, someone's telling you a really difficult story. One of the things that I noticed is that they tend to hold their breath while they tell that story. Right. And it's, you know, it's often just saying, okay, take a deep breath. Just let's breathe through this process. Right, right. (laughs) You know what? This has been so informational and also so relational today that I hope everyone who's listening knows that our goal in these podcasts is not just to give you a history of how restoration started and what your vision and mission were, but also the importance of being professional and warm and relational. So we just appreciate everyone coming to um, hear us and take in what we had to offer today. Thank you for being with us today. It was a joy to be here. If you found value in our discussion and wish to uncover more about the fascinating world of mental wellness, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes where Dr. Long will continue to delve into empowering therapies and strategies for mental wellness. Your journey to understanding and embracing mental health is just beginning, and we're excited to have you with us every step of the way. Until next time, keep exploring, keep growing, and remember to celebrate restored freedom as you uncover it.